Well, I want to welcome all of our campuses. I want to welcome our South Shore campus joining us right now, Gulf Coast Online, the Orleans Justice Center here at Little Creek as well, to week two of our series entitled Lean In. Come on, can we just welcome all the campuses joining us? So excited. We are all together learning God's Word. We have begun a series. It's a short series. Uh, it'll finish up next week. By the way, uh, I'm going to be doing in August a five-week series uh, called Soul Detox. And how many know there's things in all of our lives that, uh, that need to get out? My, starting with myself, just little things, attitudes. And so I trust that'll be an encouraging, it's, it's, it's gonna be an encouraging time, but it's gonna be a, time, a penetrating time with God's word uh, because we wanna live free. We wanna be free spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. So that'll be starting the first week of August. One of the things I've learned is that you get out of something in life what you put into it. Whether it's physical training, whether it's on your job, uh, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's in church, we, we get out of something what we put into it. And one of the ways to put into something at full, what I call full engagement, is when you understand the why behind the what. For instance, last week, and I don't have time to reteach the whole message. I talked about worship. Now, some of you may have heard the word worship as a child being the whole hour service on Sunday. I'm talking about the 20 minutes of singing. Why do we do what we do at Church of the King in the very front of the service? What is the singing about? Is that warm up? Is that just kind of the appetizer before the real meal? Or is it part? Is there biblical precedence, by the way? In the Bible, is there biblical precedence for the people of God when they gather together for them to worship? And we talked about that, all the benefits of worship and the, the power of corporately gathering together. Today, I want to talk about another thing. We'll finish up next week another aspect of our service, but today I want to talk to you about the Word. Why is it for the 35, 37 minutes, why, why is it that, that, that we base our, it used to be when I started, it was called a sermon. Then in 2000s, it was called a message. Now it's called a talk. I don't know where that's coming from, but that's what some people call it. Maybe it's TED Talks. I don't know where people are getting these. But why is it that I base this on the Bible and not some other book? After all, there's other good books out there, right? Why is it based upon the Bible? Now, before I jump into the message, I know that we have a lot of college students that are here. Uh, some of you guys will be going back in the next two, three, four weeks. Uh, and, and I just thought it would be appropriate to think, you know, what if college students wrote the Bible? What would the Bible, what would be some things about the Bible that would be characteristic of a college student? Number one, if college students wrote the Bible, instead of God creating the world in six days and resting the seventh, he would have procrastinated until the night before it was due and then pulled an all-nighter. Is that fair to say? Come on now. Okay, okay, here, here, here's another one. If college students wrote the Bible, the Last Supper would have been eaten the next morning cold. Come on now. You ever look in one of their refrigerators? It's gross. I just thought I'd just share that. This is really good. Oh, I like this one. If college students wrote the Bible, the Ten Commandments would have actually only been five. Double-spaced and typed in large font. Come on, how many know? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I can stretch that paper out big time. Absolutely. We can stretch that baby out. Here, here's, I'll just finish with this last one. 
college student wrote the Bible, the reason why, the reason why Cain killed Abel, they were college roommates. Come on, you know what I mean. I mean, how many of you know it makes, well, it's, it's a challenge. It's, a, it's just a challenge. So today I want to talk to you about the Bible. I want to talk to you about why we quote, teach, and preach from the Bible. Now, for some of you, this may be, well, that's the obvious. This is church. But I think we're growing in a culture increasingly where people have grown skeptical. Matter of fact, I think there are four basic concepts that, that people have about, about the Bible. It's surprising how much they're shared both within the church and even outside the church. A little bit different in the church, but, but these are four views. Number one, some would say, oh, about the Bible. It's really not inspired, but it's a good, it's a good book that brings comfort. It's a source of comfort, kind of like a Hallmark card. I mean, I mean, it's not inspired by God, but it's good literature, and it'll encourage you when you're discouraged. and, and So that, that would be the first, kind of the first perspective. The second perspective would be, uh, oh, the Bible, well, it's the source of my beliefs, and it's historically accurate, but here's the problem, there's a disconnect. It's not connected to the present. I really can't apply much of the Bible to my daily life. So, so that, that, would be, that would be a view that some would hold. Here would be the third one. Some would say about the Bible, the Bible is just a book of inaccuracies and inconsistencies and, quite honestly, fairy tales. Matter of fact, I had a guy tell me that one time. And he says, uh, you know, the Bible's just inconsistent, you know, and it's just filled with inconsistencies. I remember telling him, I said, all right, name one. Well, I'm going to have to do some research. I said, excuse me, but the only thing inconsistent is your life at this point. Fact of the matter is you show me one inconsistent. You can't do it. Why? Because somebody said it somewhere. Somebody picked up that narrative and now people are spilling it out and, and, and it's not true. It's not accurate. Not if you know the Bible. Let me give you the fourth one. The fourth one about the Bible, yeah, here's, here's the fourth. The book, the book, the Bible, it's the real deal. It's inspired by God, and it's applicable to our everyday life. That's, that's the fourth view. That's the fourth view. Real deal. Inspired by God, and, and we apply it. Now, I'll never forget when I was, I was in college, and, and I'll say this, I had a good college experience. I went to Tulane University. I graduated from 87 to 91, and I know we have teachers and students in our, all of our campuses, and so I want to say respectfully, I appreciated my education. I appreciate it. It's not the only school I had, but that was my undergraduate, and I appreciate it. And I, I, really had, I really enjoyed, and I learned a lot. However, it was not a Christian liberal arts college, and so there were very few people with what I would call a biblical worldview very few people that believe the Bible is inspired by God. A couple students. There was maybe one teacher that I found in there. So oftentimes, I would, there, there would be people that would dialogue with me, and, 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 and it would be a little bit hostile at times, and all friendly, but kind of hostile fire. And, and, and they would, and they, matter of fact, I, I, I brought some of it upon myself, but I just felt this in my heart. I thought, time out, man. The Bible, Christ has changed my life, and his blueprint, his manual for living is changing me on a daily basis. I, matter, matter of fact, in one class I took called mass communication, I, 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 I had a right. It was uh, the, the thing that you believed impacted mass communication. What book, what article, what TV show, what movie had the greatest impact? And I wrote it on the Bible. And I never forget, I had to get up and defend the Bible. Well, that went over real well. But I'm going to tell you something, what it did is it 
pushed me into discovering truth of how to defend the scripture. See, let me just tell you something. Conflict and contention and cross-examination, it, it shouldn't harden us. It actually should push us to searching things out. 1 Peter 3.15 says, we ought to know the reason for the hope within us. We shouldn't grow we shouldn't grow discouraged of a skeptical culture about the Bible. We should be informed and equipped on how to respond to that. So question, what do you think about the Bible? Well, what do you think about it? Is it reliable? Is, are you category one? That's a good book, bring encouragement, but it's not inspired. How about category two? It's historically accurate, but it doesn't apply. There's a disconnect. How about number three? Just kind of fairy tales. I mean, it's good stuff, but not, not, not really. Or do you believe it's inspired? inspired by God. Because if you don't believe it's inspired by God, then the question would be, well, pastor, why don't we just do other books? And there's Christian people that are, well, you know, I mean, there's other good books out there. I mean, why don't we just go down to Barnes and Nobles and get some Eckerd Tolle and some, uh, you know, some other new age stuff, or maybe some Buddhist writings or Quran and just kind of put it all. I mean, we're from South Louisiana. It's called a gumbo. Let's just put it all in there and let's just kind of get a smorgasbord of that. The reason why I don't do that is because I believe that this Bible is inspired by God. It's life-transforming, and it really is the manual for living. It really is a blueprint. When I gave my heart to Christ in 1987, October of 1987, I, I got gloriously born again, absolutely born again. But I was transformed by the renewing of my mind, and my lifestyle was transformed, and my decision-making grid was empowered and impacted as I began to understand the Word. Everybody say the word foundation. It's interesting. I, um, I grew up in Metairie, which our South Shore campus loves that. I was there on Father's Day weekend. They love the fact, Metairie, you know it. And by the way, if you grew up in Metairie, you, you identify where you lived based upon your playground. I was a Gerard Viking, which destroyed every playground, just being honest. And so one of the things about if you grow up in Metairie is, is that you know in the spring, you get a load of dirt, and you have to fill in your yard. That's what you do. If you don't fill in your yard, your house slips down and it goes to hell. It just kind of just, it just I, where'd it go? I don't know. Went right past China, and just, whew, there it goes. So I actually had a little business when I was a teenager. I, 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 would, I, I always wanted to make money as a kid. So I, was, I, was, I, would, I would go, and matter of fact, there's a, there's a, a family in the church today uh, and the kid, their kids are actually in the church today that I worked for them when, in that spring and I would go do, I would do, shovel them up and just fit, fill it all in. Now, as long as you kept your yard maintained at a certain level, everything was good. But if you neglected it over the years, now, now you're starting to threaten your foundation. Because now the foundation is being threatened because there's, no, there's not, not a support structure there. And that's why one day you wake up and you're drinking coffee in the kitchen and you look over and, you're, and your wall's cracked. And you're like, what's up? Hmm. And so you float it, you put new sheet, the whole thing, and you, you do the whole thing. The problem is only to return to that same place six months later because the problem's not the wall. The problem is the foundation. How many times in our lives are we cosmetically trying to repair the walls, but we're not addressing the foundation. For the Christian, for the Christian, the foundation of our lives is Jesus Christ in his word. That's the foundation. 
That's what gives us power to walk through. Let me tell you, don't you let anybody ever tell you that if you're a Christian, you don't go through trials. That's not true. But you don't, listen, you don't stop, get overwhelmed, give up, and quit. You have power, the grace of God, the strength of God, and a directional map to get you through that trial if you hang on to God. If you hang on to God, because your foundation. I can't tell you the people in our church, Pastor, it was Christ and prayer and reading that Bible and God gave me a word. How many times? Matter of fact, I'll do one test. I'll jump into the message. How many of y'all can say there was a time in your life you went through a tough time and it was a Bible verse or a portion of scripture that encouraged you? Would you raise your hand? Why is that? That's the power of God. Jesus himself said, my words are life. Yeah. So a foundation is not secondary. It's not an add-on. It is the very nature of the Word. It's foundational. So why do we study the Word of God? Why do I teach from the Bible? It's not that I don't mention any other books, but why do we stick with the Bible? Why do we teach and preach the Word? Because it, it produces a bedrock foundation. Jesus himself said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my Word will never pass away. God kept telling the children of Israel in the Old Testament, he says, if, if, if you will serve me, then I'll keep your enemies away. If you'll serve me, I'll protect you. But if you don't serve me, you open up the door and all these other things come in. You guys, if you've been around Church of the King for a while, you've heard me teach through in the Old Testament, different books of the Bible and the New Testament. But again, the children of Israel, I don't have time to go all into it, but they were they were in captivity in Egypt. They were released from slavery. They, they were in the wilderness 40 years. Right at 40 years, they went into the promised land. Modern-day Israel, basically the geographic, a little bit bigger than that. And the very first king was Saul and then David. And God put it in David's heart. He said, David, he did, God put it in David's heart to build a temple, a place, a house to worship God. So David started raising the money for it. First Chronicles 29, you can read this and. And then God speaks to David and says, David, you're not going to be the one to build my house because you're a man of bloodshed. But your son's going to build it. You're going to raise the money, but your son's going to build it. So his son Solomon built the very first temple in Jerusalem. It's the house of God where the Jewish people would come and they would, they would, they would, worship, they would worship God. And God kept telling the people, listen, if you serve me, if you'll honor me, I'll protect you. I'll keep your enemies away. The problem was they not only had worship being God, but they also brought in idols from the Assyrian nations and the Mo all these different Moabites, all, all these different, all these different nations. So the children of God were worshiping God, but they were worshiping idols. Now it's interesting. The kingdom, Israel's kingdom, broke up. It broke up into two sections. One was the northern kingdom, which was called Israel, and the southern kingdom, which was called Judah. In 722, the Assyrian army, which is Syria today, came in and overtook that army, took Israel into captivity. But there was still this southern kingdom, and the southern kingdom, it survived for a little over 200 years longer. You guys remember a couple years ago I taught through the book of Daniel? Yes? That was strong. <laughs> You're like, where's he going? I'm going somewhere. Do you remember the book of Daniel? The little Hebrew boys are out there, the first church of the Hebrews. And they look and they see all this cloud. They weren't sure what it was, but it was the dust of the, of the Babylonian empire from the horses. 
right in about 600 B.C., the southern kingdom, the lone remaining kingdom with only two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, only two tribes left. Here come the Babylonians, and they take them into captivity for 50 years. The Babylonians were then overtaken by the Persians, and the Persian king one day had a conversation with a guy named Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel said, would you please let us go back? And he says, all right, I'll tell you what, I'm going to let, let a portion of you guys go back. 50 years after the captivity, it's about 530 B.C., so they go back to Jerusalem. They hadn't been there in 50 years, the Jews. And they're looking around, they're like, this place is destroyed. This is a mess. Oh, wait, let's go through the temple. At least we can worship God. They go to the temple, it's like, the whole temple's been destroyed. Oh, my gosh. The walls are destroyed. The temple's destroyed. And then they start rummaging through, and, and, and one guy whistles. Hey, hey, y'all come over here. And they come over, and he's digging through stuff, and, 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 and he pulls out of the rubble. He pulls out of the rubble a Bible. Now, it was only the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, just the first five books. But they pulled the Bible out and said, this is amazing. They didn't have the Bible in 50 years, the Jews. This is amazing. And they started looking at it. And they started saying, well, you know, we need, to, we need to rebuild the temple. And so they started rebuilding, they started rebuilding the temple. Then another group of Jews came in. And then a third group of Jews came in. And Nehemiah, a businessman, like many of you, a businessman. He wasn't a preacher, he wasn't a priest, he was a career man. And he came because his heart was broken because the walls, they were rebuilding the temple, but the walls were still down. And he was a leader, he had organizational skills. And so now. They're rebuilding the temple. They've discovered the Bible. Nehemiah's rebuilding the walls. And Nehemiah says to the priest one day, hey, we, we gotta have a worship service, man. This thing is this, this thing's complete. Let's gather all the people. You're the priest. I'm a business guy. I need, come, can you do this thing? Why don't you gather all the people and open that book up and let's find out, let's find out how far we're off so we can get our lives back on track. Good idea, Nehemiah. Let's do it exactly what they did. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 5 and 6, they now have this big worship service. In Jerusalem, the walls are being rebuilt. Temple is being reconstructed. They've discovered the Bible. Jewish people. And Ezra, he's a priest, opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Boy, there was a reverence to the Bible. Do y'all remember in our culture is actually, do you remember when, the, when people actually reverenced the Bible? Do y'all remember that? It's really amazing today when people talk about, oh, you know, Christianity, you know, America, they really didn't have that. I mean, it was just, you know, all these guys, these forefathers, I mean, they were there, but not really there. And they really, I mean, they were, they were deists, humanists. You ought to go to the, I, I was in Washington, D.C. speaking a number of years ago, and I, I just wanted to tour around, and I, I got there a day early, and, and uh, I'd been to Washington, D.C. I hadn't really done the tour, and I remember pulling behind the Supreme Court, and Moses is etched into it, boom, holding the Ten Commandments, the Supreme Court. I mean, you know, that's not kind of like a little side issue for the Founding Fathers. Are y'all with me? If you just kind of want to keep it in the background, you don't put Moses with the Ten Commandments right on the big building. They stood up because they reverenced the Word of God. It was God's Word. Oh, man, this is awesome. Something's about to happen. It's about to happen. And, and Ezra blessed the Lord 
the great God. God, we bless you. He's the priest. He's the pastor. He's leading this, this worship service. And the great God. Then all the people answered and said, everybody say it. Amen. That's not a southern word. Y'all are just in the south. I don't need a lot of amens. Probably three per service. Too many makes me nervous. Not enough. I'll get insecure. So, so everybody say amen, amen, which is a biblical word, which means so be it. It's a, it's a word of agreement. Amen. All right. The Lord is great. And he opens the Bible. The pastor's there. And he's, 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 he's standing above the people and he's getting ready to declare. And the Bible says, while lifting up their hands. Darn, pastor did the hands thing two weeks in a row. It's in the Bible. I'm just telling you, it's the hands. I'm just telling you. And they bow their heads and worship. Everybody say worshiped. It's worship. They're worshiping God. The power of God's there. And the Lord, with their faces, they're, they're worshiping God. So the priest is there, the preacher. He's opening the word of God. This thing has been, been, been lost for, for, for decades. The temple's being rebuilt. The walls are being rebuilt. You got a business guy and a priest working together. That's pretty cool. And now they're having this worship service. And they're having this worship service. And they're lifting their hands and they're declaring to God. People are reverencing the word of God. And now they begin to speak. Look what it says in verse 7. It says, the Levites, that's the associate priests to Ezra, Help the people understand the law of God. And the people stood in their place. Now, I'm getting ready to give you three things out of this next verse. Now, listen to me closely. I want all of our campuses to hear this. The three things I'm getting ready to give you out of the next verse are the three things that I use to put messages together every single weekend, regardless of the topic. But it's also the three things that I want to equip and inspire you to do when you're reading the word by yourself. By the way, let me say this before I read this first. Do you know that the worships, the 75 minutes on the weekend that you guys, we experience corporately, the singing worship is to inspire you so that you worship Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday by yourself. The word that I'm teaching, so, man, Pastor, that was a good message. Man, that was a good, that's great. I appreciate that. I'm working hard to feed you spiritually, but you can't live spiritually on one meal a week. You need to become a self-feeder. You need to feed yourself. You need to feed yourself on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. So ultimately, my goal and our goal as the priest, Levites, pastor, whatever, is to equip you how to feed yourself during the week. So the weekend's a celebration. And by the way, things happen in the weekend that don't happen during the week. And things happen in the week. You need both a public and a private connection here. It's very powerful. So, pastor, what are you saying? I want you to follow with me because the next three words, the next sentence, I'm going to take three aspects out of it. And it's how it, it, it guides and informs how I do messages. And it will help you in your study as well. Here they are. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God. Number one, they read from the scripture. When he says the law of God, the Pentateuch, that's what they had at that point in time, all right? The first five books of the Bible. By the way, all Jewish kids would memorize that verbatim. That's pretty cool, huh? That's, that's serious. The, they, so they read distinctly from the law of God. Number two, so everybody say scripture. All right, number two, and they gave the sense. Everybody say observation. So they read the scripture, then they 
observe some intricacies. Okay, what's going on? Who's this talking to? But then the third thing, the third thing, and they helped them. They helped them. We need help, all right? They helped them to understand the reading. That's called application. So I want everybody to say scripture, observation, application. Every message that I do, there's a portion of scripture. Then I give the background called the observation and then the applications. How does this apply to your life? Let me give you those three things because I think that'll help you. And again, I want to inspire you to do this yourself. Number one, scripture, Nehemiah 8.8. And they read distinctly from the book, the law of God. Now listen to this paragraph I wrote down. The law of God in this verse is the word. The children of Israel at this point had been displaced, exiled all over the Middle East. They're, listen, their lives had been blown apart. Number one, their lives had been blown apart because they didn't heed the word. They didn't heed the word. And number two, they stayed blown apart because they didn't have the word. So they didn't read the word, but then they didn't have the word. How blessed we are that the average American has 13 Bibles in their home. The question is not whether we have the Bible. The question is, are we actually looking at the Bible? Are we actually reading the Bible? Because when they got into the Bible, you know what they realized? Don't miss this. You know what they realized? They realized that their life was out of alignment. See, I believe this with all of my heart. I do not believe if you're a Christian, you're exempt from trials. I just believe if you're a Christian and you're reading the Word and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, you have power to walk through the trial. That's the only difference. The Bible says the rain of circumstances, the negative circumstance of life, it falls on the just and the unjust. Now, we can have wisdom, we can detour, we can navigate around, but we still are impacted by things. But the difference for the believer is the one that worships God and is equipped by God's word has the strength and the grace to walk through it. There's a difference. Well, they realize that, oh my gosh, our, our lives are, are out of alignment. We, 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 we don't have the word and that's why it's so critical to get in this book. Isn't it amazing? The moment you make a decision to start reading the word, the distractions that come. We get tired. I mean, five cups of coffee, usually just bouncing off the wall. Now you're like, I'm so tired. Well, why are you tired? Well, it's because, I mean, you know, the enemy doesn't want to get you into this book. Oh, you think there's spiritual warfare? Absolutely. Absolutely. You make a decision after a message like, man, pastors inspire me. I'm going to get into this word. I'm just telling you everything. Aunt Jane's going to be in a crisis and there's a flat tire and something's going to happen. And this, it's, it's why? Because the enemy knows if you get into this book, your life will change. He knows that. Now, I know some of you may say, well, pastor, I don't believe the Bible's really inspired and, or I don't really trust the scriptures. Let me give you three quick things, three quick things. You'll be out of here right on time, 1230, an hour and 15 minute message. How can I really trust the scriptures, 1230? Number one, here it is. The first reason is, is that the Bible is the most accurately preserved and widely attested document in the ancient world. Did you know that? There are 24,000 ancient manuscripts of the Bible, as opposed to six of Plato's Republic. And yet, we teach whole courses on that. The, 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 the historical accuracy, 24,000 ancient documents. And again, I can unpack, and I've taught, by the way, I've taught series on why I believe the Bible is the word of God. See, you can go back online and you can get that stuff. Number two is the fulfillment of prophecy. 
In the Old Testament, the Old Testament kept speaking about Christ, the Christ to come, the Christ to come. There, there are 48 distinct prophecies in the Old Testament speaking of, watch this, the birth of Christ, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. 48, for instance, Micah 6.2. The Bible says that Jesus, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. Was he born in Bethlehem? The answer is yes. It is impossible for two prophecies to be fulfilled unless it's God. So it attests to what's called the veracity and the truthfulness of Scripture. Let me give you another one, archaeology. Archaeology verifies. Somebody said, well, you know what, archaeology, if you get in there in Israel and you start doing excavations, no, 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 it's just the opposite. Excavations and archaeological digs are verifying scripture. First time I went to Israel, I'll never forget, we went down by the Dead Sea and a very hot place, 1,600 feet below sea level, the lowest part on the earth, right by the Dead Sea. Did you guys know that? 1,600 feet below sea level. Make you feel good if you're from New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> 1,600 feet. All right, now watch this. And there's a place called Qumran. And Qumran in 1947, a little Bedouin boy, he had some rocks, and he's a sheep herder. That's what they did. They would take care of sheep. And he threw his rocks and he, and, uh, at a sheep to try to divert the sheep back on the course, and he heard a dink. What was that? He climbed up the mountain pass, and he got in there, and in this cave, and then in another cave, it was in all these vases, it was what's called the Dead Sea Scrolls, one of the most important manuscripts. Not only in a hundred years, probably in a thousand years, you ought to Google Dead Sea Scrolls and read. The whole book of Isaiah was there. Why is that important? Archaeology, not weekly, not monthly, but daily in Bible, in the Bible geography is unpacking cities and things and, and it testifies to the truthfulness of scripture. What does the Bible say about itself? Second Timothy chapter two, watch what it says here. All, everybody say all scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's inspired, inspired by God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. Yeah, the Bible, it's not just to encourage, it's also to correct. I read, I read and heard about a study this week. This is a, a powerful study. Not once, not twice, not three, but four times a week if you engage with the Bible. I don't know why four, it's just four. They did a test case. If you are consistently engaging with the Bible four times a week, it is the greatest thing to change. Watch this. Mindsets, attitudes, and behaviors. The Bible. It corrects you and instructs you in righteousness. I was reading the Bible last week. I was in the book of James, and I was in a contention with somebody, a little bit of an argument. I was right. But anyway, I'm just being, I just got to say it like it is, but... And, but, but how many know you can be right and wrong? And I was reading the book of James, and it says, where do fights and quarrels come from among you? Does it not come from your desire for pleasure in your body? And I thought to myself, there's something about that adrenaline rush that you feel when you're right, that you get hooked into. And if you read on in James, it talks about humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And humble yourselves. And I thought, wow. You know what this is? God's word was what? Everybody say it. Correcting. It was correcting my heart. So the Bible's powerful. The Bible's transformational. Now, I got one little book. Stay with me. If you want to read more about it, small little book called More Than a Carpenter. Josh McDowell wrote this book. Josh is actually a friend of mine. 
And uh, he actually was on the South Shore. We did something years ago. Uh, in the North Shore, we did something years ago. And this actually South Shore with high school students. This is one of the best little books, More Than a Carpenter. You can get it, download it. And he proves why he believes the Bible's the word of God. By the way, Josh was an agnostic. Agnostic. An atheist says there's no God. An agnostic says I'm not sure. And he got born again reading the Bible. By the way, do you know C.S. Lewis, the Chronicles of Narnia? Remember, he was an atheist. He was a professor at Cambridge University at medieval philosophy, and he set out to disprove Christianity by reading the Bible. That's a mistake. <laughs> Don't do that. Matter of fact, the movie that just recently came out, the, I believe, or the belief, uh, um, Lee Strobel did the same thing. He, 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 he set out to disprove the Bible and by doing so, why is that? Because the Bible is inspired by God. This is not just, this is not just uh, Aesop's fables, an assortment of good thoughts, but it's inspired by God. Let me give you a couple other things. People ask me all the time. I'm answering it right now. Please stay with me eight more minutes. Pastor, what do you read? I like, for me, the New King James Bible, New American Standard Bible. I put this in your notes, New International Version. New Living Translation, English. One of the ones that a lot of uh, theologians are using, the English Standard Version, the ESV. What Bible program do you use to keep you consistent? I found this. This is a statement. It's going to be a large categorical generalization, but I have found it to be true. I've been a Christian almost 30 years. You will only consistently read the Bible if you're following a Bible reading plan. It's just the truth. What do I use? I use what's called Life Journal Reading Plan. You can go on to uversion.com, pull this up. There's some Old Testament. Matter of fact, that's where I get soap. Soap, S O A P. Scripture. Everybody say scripture. Say observation. Say application. And then prayer. Life, that's what I use. All right, so number one, they read from the word. Number two, observation. Look what it says. Nehemiah 8 8. This is going to help you guys. Stay with me. Look what it says. They gave sense of it. What does that mean? When I put messages together on the weekend, here's what I do. I answer those five advertising questions. Who, what, when, where, how? Who is he writing to? Who is writing? What is the situation? How is this happening? That's why I say Paul, when he's writing to the church at Corinth, there was a schism in the church, and that's why Paul. So what were I believe the priests doing? They were giving the who. Who was this writing to? To whom was it being written? What was going on in culture at the time? What was the struggle that was happening? If you understand the background, it brings life to the meaning. It's powerful. Well, pastor, how do you get that? I want that information. Well, in Bibles, for those of you that are new believers, and I, I, this is my teaching Bible. It's, it's streamlined, but I read out of a Bible and study a study Bible where there's commentary in the bottom. People email me. I'm now answering, what do I use? This is, they'll ask me this all the time. So here's what I, I like to use because it gives me the observation. The who's it being written to? Why is it being written? What struggles going on in culture there? I use the Spirit-Filled Life Bible as opposed to the non-Spirit-Filled Life Bible. That was a joke. You didn't get it. But anyway, much slower than the nine o'clock. And so... Uh, uh, there's the Life Application Bible as well. These are all asking and answering the questions for you. Let me give you a commentary that I use, I recommend. I don't do this, I, I'm very careful recommend, but I like John Corson. He's a Calvary Chapel pastor in, uh, in uh, California, or in Oregon actually. 
And, uh, and, so, and, so that, and also, that's the John Course and Application Commentary. Let me give you two things that will really help you on the observation level. This will really help you. Write this down. BibleGateway.com. BibleGateway.com and Blue Letter Bible. That's, these are what I use. So when I'm getting information on the weekend, yes, I've been to college. Yes, I've been to Bible college. Yes, I've done seminary, all that stuff. But I'm also looking at resources to get context. You can do the same thing. And that way, when you come on the weekend, you're not just making it here, I hope pastor has a good message. You've been feeding all week long that I'm preaching from God's word and you've got God's word and there's an explosion as it comes together between us. Does that make sense? Not going, what's he talking about? Is that in the Old Testament? Let me give you this last and final thing and then we'll close. You guys learn anything today? I'm working hard, man. All right, here it is. Here it is. I'm finishing up. So, soap, scripture, observation, the who, went, where, why, why, and all that stuff. Application. Here it is. Application. It's right out of the Bible. Look what they did. Nehemiah chapter 8, 8. And they helped them to understand the reading. How does this, how does this apply to your life? How does this apply to your family? How does this apply? That's what they did. When I do a message, my greatest fear is that you go, man, that was a good message. What did he talk about? I can't remember. But I was excited. He's funny. Why do I use humor? Because sometimes it just makes the medicine go down better. Does that make sense? Why do I use myself as personal illustrations? Because sometimes if I'm transparent, it'll help you guys open up more. But my whole point is to get you to hear the Bible, listen to the word, understand the context, but then the third step, and that's to apply it to your life. Apply it to your life. How am I going to be different by this message today? How is this message that pastor preached? How, here's the questions. I wrote this down. How does this scripture apply to me? What situations in my life does it speak to? What does the Holy Spirit want me to know? I'm not just haphazardly. That's why I've had people say this before. Pastor, how did you know what I was going through? I said, I don't, but God does. If you believe that I'm studying this word and putting it together on the weekend, don't you believe that the Holy Spirit can lead me to something that'll speak to you? Are y'all with me? So important that you understand this. I'll close with this. Matter of fact, I'm going to ask everybody to stand. I'm going to read these last verses. Matthew chapter 7. We'll finish up the series next week. Another part of the service, why we do what we do. And then we'll start soul detox. And uh, I'm very excited about that. That's going to be really fun. It's going to be funny, but also challenging as well to help us. I want to read this. We're talking about hearing and doing the word. Jesus said, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. It's a hearer, but it's somebody that applies them to their life. I will liken that person to a wise man or woman who builds their house upon a what? Everybody say it. A rock. A rock. Here it is. And the rain descended. Circumstances come. A health report. A financial twist. 
a marriage situation, a child, a thing, a family, an extended family deal you're working through. Rains descend, floods came, and the winds of circumstances blow and beat on that house. But it did not fall, for it was founded. It wasn't about the house. This isn't an endurance contest. It's about the rock. It's about the foundation. It's about the foundation. Now, 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 but everyone who hears the word, they go to church. They listen to what pastor's talking about. But they, but they don't apply it to their life. They do not do it. I had a guy tell me one time, he said, I went as pastor. He goes, here's what he said. He said, I tried Christianity once, but it didn't work. I'm like, wait, time out. Time out. You try, think about it. You tried Christianity once, and it didn't work. Yeah, because he went through a situation. It was a negative situation. So then he blamed God. He goes, well, you just must not love me. And I, wait, time out, time out, time out. Listen to me closely. He was a hearer. My question is, were you a doer of the word? Because you don't get blown out if your life's on the rock. You get hit, but you don't get blown out. You get blown, but not blown up. The wind beats, but it doesn't take you off the foundation because it's the foundation that's strong. It's the foundation. It's the foundation that's strong. The foundation. That person's a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Let me pray for you. If you're in this place today and you do not know Christ, you're not sure about your relationship with God, our altar is going to be open. We'd love to, you, to talk to you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, Christ follower. We're here to pray for you as well about any needs that you may have. Here's my prayer. Lord Jesus, make us a people of your word. Give us a fresh passion in your word, for your word, to drink in your word, and to apply it to our lives. Lord, storms come, rains come, but if our life's founded on that rock, nothing's gonna blow us apart. Lord, I bless your people, Lord, as they go forth this day in the wonderful name of Jesus. And everybody said, can we give the Lord a hand clap? Come on, can we do that? We love you guys. Have a great weekend. God bless.